Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Coming up, Manitoba NDP leader Wob Canoe. He has released his party's platform heading into the election. We're also going to talk to one of the couch potatoes, Jeff Braun, about BH90210 and other stuff. And Carolyn Klassen from Conexus Counseling. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Uh, Wob, thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, so you launched the platform today. How, yep. are, you, how are you feeling uh, about uh, the campaign uh, such as it is? Well, I think we're off to a good start, and I'm really proud of this platform because it has our priorities of fixing health care, creating 50,000 new jobs, dealing with issues like uh, the climate crisis, but we're also showing us moving to a balanced budget along the same timeline as uh, Mr. Pallister saying, like yeah, at the 20, end of four years. Yeah, by 2024. Yeah, at the end of four years, we'll, we'll balance the books. We're not raising corporate uh, tax rates. We're not doing anything like that. We're just looking at being smart with where we deploy the resources. So right. in healthcare, we're going to make some reductions to the bureaucracy and then use the savings to reinvest in the front line, hiring more nurses. Now, this is your NDP party. What do you say to the people that go, yeah, right, you're going to balance the books after what we've seen in the past from the party? Well, what we've seen in the past is that uh, Gary Dewar balanced the budget every year he was the premier. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I think that um, for me, the, being the leader of the NDP, it's about standing up for those values, healthcare, education, helping the average working person. And uh, to me, the way I interpret helping the average working person means keeping life affordable. So you got to be balanced when it comes to the taxes, but also things like your hydro bill, your auto pack payments. You got to keep life affordable in all the different areas so that, you know, the average family's got an extra 50 bucks to go to the movie theater or they got a bit of extra cash to go to a Bombers game, you know, things like that. $15 minimum wage, that's one of your promises? Yeah, um, we're going to do that uh, over the course of four years also. So it's not going to be a big shock right away. Uh, we're also going to help business owners by um, raising the small business exemption. So there's going to be more revenue that a business owner can make before they have to pay uh, corporate taxes. But at the end of the day, we do have to move to a $15 minimum wage because I don't think anybody who works full-time in Manitoba should have to live in poverty. If you work full-time, that should be enough to guarantee your ticket out of poverty, and a $15 minimum wage will do that. But you want to tax people that are making more than $250,000 a year, and more than one listener has pointed out, uh, even just since I've been on the air and they knew you were coming on, saying, how do you do that? You're going to move to a $15 an hour wage, which is going to hurt business people, and taxing people making over $250,000 is also going to hurt many business people. Well, we're going to offset the minimum wage increase, I said, by that uh, increase to the exemption for business owners. In terms of people earning over a quarter of a million dollars a year, listen, if you earn more than a quarter of a million dollars a year, I know that you didn't get there by yourself. You benefited by having strong infrastructure in this province, good health care system, good education system. And so I think it's fair to ask that you give back to help the next generation make sure that they have that infrastructure, they have that same chance at success. And uh, I think when we talk to high-income earners in those terms, I think a lot of people are going to say, yeah, you know what, Uh, I think it does make sense for those who have a lot to contribute a bit more so that we can tackle issues like climate change, like fixing healthcare. A couple of other people have pointed out that uh, at least a few of the things you've promised 
are very similar to what we're seeing in the election in the U.S. right now from people like Bernie Sanders. $15 minimum wage, tax the wealthy. Well, I think that uh, the difference is that I'm looking to govern for Manitoba. I'm not looking to govern uh, for the U.S. or for, for anywhere else. When it comes to the, the promises uh, and the commitments that we're making here, though, my bottom line commitment is I want this to be a document that the average family can look at and say, yeah, that would make a difference for me. Buying your first home, getting a little help on that, keeping your hydro bill cheap, keeping your auto pack payments affordable, but also making auto pack better by saying, like, let's have more services online. Let's have you be able to pay your uh, auto pack online, get your uh, refund from auto pack back online. Let's do all those services. So I think when the average family looks at our plan, they're going to say, yeah, stronger health care, helping the climate, but also helping my uh, bottom line as a family. That's going to make a difference for us. Politics is rough and tumble. And uh, (laughs) you chuckle because, uh, boy, uh, politics has been tough on you. Has it it made you sort of cynical about what you're doing or do you feel like you're getting an unfair uh, rep? You know, I I knew what I signed up for when I entered politics. The, The part of me that gets cynical is it's just every time I run for office, then all of a sudden, you know, people... Bring it crank up, up uh, whatever talk yeah. that they want to do. But uh, at the end of the day, I recognize this election isn't about me. This election's not about Mr. Pallister. This election is about you, the person listening at home. This election is about you, the average Manitoban. And I'm putting forward what I think is a really positive plan that's going to help you uh, make ends meet at the end of the month, but also deal with some of those bigger picture things you're probably worried about for your kid's future, health care, whether they're going to be able to find a good career whether the climate's still going to be able to sustain their lives in a good economy. So we're putting together a strong plan, but we've tried to do it in a balanced approach too, where we get it right and we're not uh, asking too much of people, but we're actually building up Manitoba. You think the Pallister government, the pendulum has swung too far, you know? I think people wanted to see some pullback on, on what was being spent in the province. Do you think it's gone too far the other way now? And I think it's been too fast too. Like I think the, they, they've rushed, particularly on the healthcare side. So it's, if there was a correction happening, it's time to correct that correction. And what I mean by that is people in 2016 didn't vote to close to emergency rooms. They didn't vote to have uh, hundreds of nurses uh, laid off. That wasn't talked about during the last campaign, and yet that's what they've seen from Mr. Pallister. So this plan that we're announcing today sees us to make corrections. It's not like we're going 180 degrees right back to the way things were. We're not going to reopen all the same emergency rooms. We're going to focus targeted areas, Seven Oaks, Concordia, we're going to start with. We're going to focus on some services like physiotherapy and hiring back some of the nurses. But again, the bottom line is I want to be smart. I don't want to just go back to the way things were. I want to ask, what do we need in the future? So uh, another example of an idea of thinking more about the future is right now, when you look at social assistance, it's thought about in terms of the economy and the workplace. But I say we have to start thinking that, thinking about that in terms of healthcare. If we don't help people um, have good housing in, a, in Manitoba, as an example, they're going to be sicker, more likely to have health problems, and then that's going to cause the whole system way more costs in the future. So we got to make the, the smart move now so that the healthcare system can be strong in the future. We've talked about a few of the platform uh, planks in your, in your platform here, which you announced today. Mm-hmm. Maybe talk about one or two others that aren't getting much attention. You just made this announcement this morning, but we talked about the $15 minimum wage and higher taxes for wealthy. What else is, is in there that you're proud of? 
Well, I don't want to spill the beans on uh, some of the announcements that we're going to make in the, in, the, <laughs> in the coming weeks. <laughs> but there's a few things that I, that I think uh, we're doing that are unique and they're new ideas. One is I think we got a really good plan to help the average person, average young person, average young family buy their first home. And buying their first home, like that's huge. It helps you build wealth, right? And then you can make all sorts of other financial decisions for the rest of your life. But it's also the dream that I think a lot of families have to be homeowners. And so we're going to help Manitobans uh, on that front as well. And then uh, when it comes to the environment, again, the concern I hear from Manitobans is, yeah, I want to help fight climate change, but I don't want to break the bank doing so at the same time. So I think we got a novel approach. Again, I'm not going to spell out all the details. But there, to will save be, in that. there will be a carbon cost, though, eh, if you're the premier. I think we got a really smart way of doing it that's different from what Mr. Pallister has done, but it's also different from what Mr. Trudeau has done. Because I hear a lot of people saying, no, they're not happy with Trudeau, right? So I think we got a, we got a really smart way to do that. Uh, Mr. Uh, the Premier cut a ribbon the other day. Was he breaking the rules? Well, more so than breaking the rules, I don't understand how they cut the ribbon on an underpass that's not ready to be used yet. My expectation is if you cut the ribbon, I should be able to drive down that thing uh, tomorrow. So I think that's the thing that I've been uh, so you wondering question, on. you question the timing. Well, of I'm wondering right? if I don't go back there and make the same announcement and say, hey, we'll be back a year from now when this thing's actually up and running. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with the campaign. Well, thank you so much, Al. There it is, the theme for BH, not Beverly Hills, BH. 90210 Couch Potato Jeff Braun is here to talk about it last night on Global. Did you like it? I did like it. I, I you did, did. I didn't know what to expect. And well, and I guess I was set the bar pretty low. I wasn't expecting, <laughs> you know, the breaking bad, the second coming or anything like that. So yeah. and it was so weird. It and it just confounded every expectation I had. And it not a, a lot of times when you turn on your TV, you get exactly what you think you're gonna get. And yeah. it's rare to get something that's just bonkers and out there and that's what i thought this was so i i enjoyed it and in five more weeks i'll i'm on board with that yeah the next five wednesdays yeah. on yeah. global eight o'clock uh if you missed it last night uh, uh, if you haven't already heard <laughs> it's sort of a uh, a faux documentary they they play themselves yes. or a version of themselves yeah jason Priestley plays jason, jason Priestley. Priestley. Yeah. but He's like a he's a dog. He's a hound in this one, and, and yeah. which I guess I don't know what he is like in real life. But his wife on the show is not his wife from real life, right? And so uh, in the first episode, he cheats on his wife, which I don't. I imagine if he was doing that in yeah. real life, he'd have a problem with doing that on the show. So uh, I spent a lot of the hour googling these actors to see what they're because <laughs> I was like, what is real and what's not anymore? Because yeah. there's some stuff with uh, Donna talking about her kids and her reality that shows. is real, right? Yeah, Tori Spelling yeah. that is real so i was like well mm-hmm. what is for real and what's not and who's who and who's this and yeah and yeah and it got very soapy real quick like those high school shows really did so it's like oh they're actually yeah bringing that element into it but mostly it's going to be a show about the actors getting trying to get a reboot of the old show up and right, running right and you said you set the bar really low and so you were pleasantly surprised wow. i may have set the bar too high <laughs> i didn't dislike it i'm going to continue yeah. to watch it i'm going to see where it goes they had to do something they couldn't come back you know as the same characters in the peach pit i mean it just you know it wouldn't no, work there's too many other shows we've yeah. seen a lot of them some of them have been popular but very few of these shows have been actually 
added anything to right. the show's legacy, right? So it's like to just to, to do something completely out of left field. Why not? That's the way to go. Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of reboots yeah. and redos, Disney Plus. This is the streaming uh, a service that Disney has is coming out with Home Alone, the reboot. The reboot. A new movie. Yes. Wow. And uh, it will not star Macaulay Culkin <laughs> at almost 40 years of age. Oh, my. But oh. what if it did? You'll hear that in a bit. I put something together I think you'll enjoy. <laughs> Do you like the reboots and, and no. the redos? Movies or? don't need to be remade. I, mean, I agree. If, if you find some weird movie from the 40s that no one remembers and you want to remake it, fine. But yeah. classic movies that right. – something like Home Alone still stands the test of time and all yeah. these other – it's a Disney's flavor now, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're redoing those animated into live actions. Yeah, it's it's unnecessary, especially with the movies that people already still already like and still like. Well, you know what's coming because Disney has also acquired titles like Night at the Museum, Diary <laughs> of a Wimpy Kid, and Cheaper by the Dozen. And they have done that; they've acquired those titles to remake them. Oh my gosh! Yeah, well, and some of them aren't even that old. The Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies. There was a new one out like two years ago. Right. I agree with you. Yeah. If it's an old movie that yeah. most people now have not seen and you think it's worth redoing, redo it. But if you're going to carry on the Home Alone franchise, come up with a new story. Yeah. A new story and a new just character. Home Alone 5 or something. Yeah. Cell no, phones. I agree. Wouldn't, don't cell phones just really make solving that crisis a lot easier at this point? I suppose. I would think so. Yeah. You know. Just the shenanigans they had to go through for the mom not to be able to reach Kevin was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, stay tuned. You will hear what I imagine to be uh, the new Home Alone, okay? And uh, the Emmys will go without a host this year. Good. I think it's a good idea, too. Yeah, the host, sometimes it's okay. I, I like when Jimmy Kimmel's been doing whatever. He did Oscars a couple yeah. of times. And that was fine and everything, but when mm-hmm. they didn't have one last year, you after the first two minutes, you didn't really miss it. Right. So if they can do whatever they can to shorten these shows, it's fine by me. I agree. And and uh, as uh, one of the producers said, this will allow them more time to honor the actual nominees. There you right. Go. So sure, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. I did not realize this. Apparently, the Emmys back in two thousand three. I don't know if it was a one off or what it was, but they were actually hostless back in two thousand three. So they've done it without a host before, and then or and then they did it the one time with all the reality show hosts. Remember that one, right? With Jeff Probst and four other guys. Yeah, and they didn't prepare anything. I know they tried to ad lib it, and it was just a mess. It was Horrible. Like, yeah. Horrible. It's bizarre why in 2019, after 50, 60 years of award ceremonies, that yeah. we can't like figure out the magic solution to this. Right. That and actually this all, works. And this all comes because Kevin Hart said, "I'll do it," and then he said, "No," and it was too late, and they went without a host, and the ratings actually went up. Yeah, and the show is shorter. The ratings. Went up for the first time in five years when Kevin Hart bailed, and they went with the Oscars without a host. So awesome! There you go. Jeff Braun, one of the couch potatoes. Brett McGeary, the other one on vacation. Are you still going to have a show this weekend, though? We're still going to have a show. We're both on the show. We through the magic of radio. Yeah, and there's a lot of Tarantino talk because, as it turned out, we both, unbeknownst to each other, watched the Tarantino movie and interviewed or did a review about it. Well, let's talk about that for a second before yeah. I let you go, because I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. I thought it dragged a bit, but I expected that from Tarantino. It's two hours and 41 minutes long. <laughs> I think he could have done it in an hour and a half, but I love the ending. I think he could have done it. I, I 
too agree that I. It didn't bother me, but I can see why people think it was too long. And yeah. I, he could have made a really good two-hour movie, yeah. no problem, I think. And but then I, it probably wouldn't be a Tarantino film, no, right? Some, he gets a little self-indulgent at times. Some of the stuff in the middle with Leo actually on set filming fictional <laughs> yes. TV shows, right. that's, I think in 10 years we'll be like, why is this so long in the middle of this movie? But, <laughs> but yeah, the ending is... Oh. Phenomenal. Maybe his best, one of his I best. I think, it, if not the best, one of the best Quentin Tarantino endings. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couch Potatoes at noon on Saturday, 6 p.m. on Sunday, and of course the podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can find the podcast version of the Couch Potatoes at cjob.com. Jeff Braun, thank you very much, sir. You bet. Appreciate it. And now, Hal's version of Home Alone. Disney Plus is rebooting Home Alone, and you won't believe who's playing Kevin this time. It's Macaulay Culkin. Oh no, I'm alone in my home again. What should I do? Oh wait, I'm an adult. Guess I'll go to work. And for you hardcore fans, we're bringing back all the funniest parts from the original film. Time to put aftershave on my face. Ah, hmm, actually that feels pretty good. If you loved watching a 7-year-old during a home invasion, you'll mildly enjoy seeing a 38-year-old in the same situation. Oh no, the wet bandits are back. Gotta set up some booby traps. Eh, I'm kinda tired. I'll just call the cops. And don't miss the reboot of your favorite sequel, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Oh no, I'm lost in New York. What should I do? Oh yeah, I'll just call an Uber and get out of here. Let's hope it's better than that. From the mind of Hal Anderson, the Home Alone remake. Yes, and joining us in studio for her regular Thursday appearance, Carolyn Klassen from Connexus Counseling. Hello, Carolyn. How are you? Hey, Hal. How are you? Turn Clay's microphone off. He left his microphone on so we can hear door slamming and... Clay walking out of the room. <laughs> this place is so funny. This this place is so much like WKRP in Cincinnati. Did, did you ever watch that show years ago? I did. Yes. Yeah. It's it's worse than that. <laughs> I'll just tell you tell you that right now. Uh, Carolyn, I'm glad you're here because I, I wanted to talk to you about. We'll start with this. Um, the start this morning. Uh, Mackling and McNabb had an expert on Dr. Pauline Boss. She is the author of a book called Ambiguous Loss. So she does not like the term closure, and we've talked about closure before, you and I have, and I, and it's on several fun, uh, fronts relating to this uh, uh, manhunt that came to an end yesterday with the discovery of the remains of the two men. Uh, there's, I'll use the word closure because it's easy for me. There's no closure now, or there's it's not complete closure for the families of the people who were murdered allegedly by these two. Um, what about the families of these two men, like their families yes, and, uh, everybody else involved because everybody uh, who's been following this now has questions. Well, and I, I think what might be the way I think about it is that it's sort of like one chapter has ended and another has begun, right? That there is no closure, but there is a transition from the end of one chapter to the start of another. And so... I think that when three people's lives are ended in a violent way, uh, there is no good outcome for the people who are being pursued as the alleged people who did it, right? Um, There is no good outcome. And so this is one of the possible bad outcomes is to find their bodies. 
Uh, and I think everybody still, you know, the RCMP, they have probably lots of follow-up and you know, this is not finished for them. They, it just changes, right? But they are still going to be working on this for a long time. Uh, the victims' families, there's so many unanswered questions and that's the part that makes this an ambiguous loss of they're not sure that they're going to get the answers. And so there's all, there's, it, there's, they have to learn to live with the ambiguity of not knowing much of what happened. Uh, and then we, I think, now have an understanding of these young men. They had families who loved them and cared about them, and now they have to wrap their heads around what has happened. Um, and we can have compassion for them as well as they have to deal with the horror of what they understand their nephews, children, um, you know, grandchildren have done. Um, and then the loss of these young men that they loved. And then the impact on all of us, right? The people of Gillum and how that now will affect their lives going forward and everybody else across the country. Because for a long time, or not a long time, but for a period of of this manhunt, we didn't know where they were. There were people worried, are they here? Are they there? And so that has an impact on all of us, doesn't it? Well, and I think that's right to sort of think like, oh, now that chapter's closed, now we just go back to life as usual. Uh, that's probably a little naive because for many, they can just go back and it will be life as usual. But there will be some that will, that feeling of hypervigilance of kind of looking over their shoulder and locking their doors in ways that they aren't used to. It's kind of hard to lose that feeling when you have worn it in your body for a couple of weeks. And some people will continue to carry that. And for some people, it has triggered memories of past times when they were looking over their shoulder and when they were worried about being harmed at a moment's notice because they've had those experiences earlier in their lives. And so this has reawakened some of those feelings. And so this doesn't just go away just because they have found the bodies of those men. This continues in different ways for all sorts of players going forward. And there were because we didn't know where they were, Manitoba, Ontario, um, there was lots of people that were wondering and kind of looking for them. Um, and to just say, oh, now we can go back, that, that it would be nice, I think, but that's that's naive. Not reality. No. Yeah. Back to families and closure and, and, you know, from the outside we look and we go, oh, well, now the families have closure. The two bad men are dead. Mm -hmm. But when you have loss like that, it, it can never be closure, can it? No. And when... Because um, there's I, so many other things at, at play. I was thinking about this. Toni Morrison died this week, right? The author um, in the United States. She's a wonderful author. I've read a lot of her stuff. And she had this line when her son passed away. And I remember, I think it was, she said it to Oprah. She said, I expect to be sad for the rest of my life. And I'm not unhappy about that. Part of loving her son was now that he was gone, she was always going to miss him. That needed to be, she was going to integrate that into who she was. It was that she had a sadness for her son. And I think, um, you know, loves aren't like bank accounts. We don't close them off. Uh, they transition and we mourn the fact that we can't be with the people that mean so much to us. But And we find a way to integrate that loss into who we are and we carry it with us everywhere we go. And uh, we, Anne Lamott says we dance with a limp. We still dance, but we dance with a limp. Yeah. And you've used that line before, and that's a great line. It's it's a wonderful way to look at it, right? It's not a bank account. You can't close it. I no. Mean, life carries on, but you carry on with that limp, right? Right. And I was reading someplace, um, there was an advertiser. Um, he writes a weekly, weekly marketing blog, and he says, I don't trust anybody that doesn't walk with a limp, right? Uh, because we all have been harmed by the time we get to be, you know, middle-aged. We all 
have known the pain of losing somebody. And when you pretend that you don't limp, you you, kind of can't trust that because Mm -hmm. we all are hurt by something in our lives. Uh, And we need to recognize and have compassion for the people that we might meet in our everyday lives, knowing that they struggle in some ways because of losses that they've had. Mm -hmm. You know, I I believe that we take the things that happen in our life, good and bad, and we try and make them all good. Even the bad things, we try and grow from them and, and you know, become better. But I can't imagine the loss of a loved one. And and how do you ever get anything good out of that? I mean, it, it's... It is so devastating. It And to sort of tritely say, well, let's find a way to make lemonade out of these lemons is not something that... Um, is a kind thing to say to somebody who's struggling. But I think um, that's often why we see things like Mothers Against Drunk Drivers and we see Wilma Dirksen having Candace House is that part of the healing is finding a way to compost the crap uh, into something that something beautiful can grow out of. It never feels good and you wish it never would have happened. But given that it has happened, are there ways where you can find ways of bringing meaning and purpose to the loss so that something good can come out of it? Not in ways that eliminate the grief and close off the grief, but in ways that allow others to grow from the price that you're going to pay one way or the other. You wanted to take a minute to talk about your uncle Arvid. Talk I do. about talk about Arvid before a break here. Okay, so some people and Arvid has been on this show during this time in past years. Um, everybody has you know an eccentric uncle, somebody that wears the same sweater twelve months of the year, or, you know, <laughs> stuff like that um, that tells bad jokes at family gatherings. Uh, I have an eccentric uncle, and he does ultra marathon cycling, and he does it on behalf of the Muli Children's Family, who in uh, Kenya. And so this year, starting at, towards the beginning of May, he pledged to ride one kilometer for every life that was successfully transformed through um, the, the Muli children's family. Yeah. Um, it's an orphanage that stops having people be orphans when they become a part of that Muli children's family. Mm. And so he cycled 15,000 kilometers. Wow. I know, right? That's crazy. Um, and in the middle of it all, he took an, a day off to receive the Order of Manitoba um, and has just kept cycling and cycling and cycling. And t- today he reaches 15,000 kilometers. And so there's a celebration and um, a, a service that rec- recognizes his accomplishment. And so at 6.30 p.m. today at uh, 1315 Gateway Road, that's North Kildonan Mennonite Brethren Church, there's a program where guests from Mennonite, uh, uh, Muli Children's Family, um, including Nando Muli, one of the daughters, and in 2005, he did the Great, Great Canadian Safari where he transported uh, orphans on the back of his bike. So it was he made it a tandem bike where they got to sit there and they would have conversations. He went from West Coast to East Coast. Mm. And those same kids are now what, 14 years older and they are coming back to tell more of their story about what they remember that summer and the time since. So that is at 6.30. But if you would like to do the last two kilometers with them, anybody from 4 to 88 uh, are invited to meet at 6 at the parking lot of North Kildonan Mennonite Brethren Church. You'll meet there. We're going to cycle two kilometers to go visit him, meet him, and then we're going to cycle the last two kilometers back. And so there's going to be this this like, this like whole group of bicyclists, and everybody's invited. They want, they want it to be big, where people all accompany him those last two kilometers from 14,998 to wow. 15,000 kilometers. Isn't that great, eh? It's so awesome. Yeah. So 6 o'clock if you want to cycle. Yeah. 6.30 is the celebration. Right, at 1315 Gateway Road in North Kildonan.
Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.